0: Bible or some device, you'll be looking at the scriptures with us this morning. Uh, We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. As you are turning or typing, um, Ecclesiastes um, is, is a book that we started two weeks ago. It is a wisdom book, which really for our Western kind of American context, we don't have a lot of like modern wisdom literature, and so it's something that we're often a little bit unfamiliar with. It, it's sprinkled with Proverbs and poetry as well, which I know for some of you, um, you engage in poetry, but I think for most of us, um, outside of song lyrics, poetry is not really something we spend a lot of time in. And and so um, Ecclesiastes is a bit of a strange book in that it sometimes can feel hopeless, um, but really what is going on in Ecclesiastes is it, it's an observation of the world, right? Looking around going, Hey, if if we were to walk through the world not really believing in God, what is it that we would observe and see? And then how does faith come into that? Right? Like that it's deconstructing all the things that people have built their lives on um, and helping um, younger folks, right, to not necessarily start their life building on those things, right? Um, It's it's looking at the exceptions, not the rule of, of life. And, and maybe a word that encompasses this is the word vanity um, that we will see sprinkled throughout. And just a reminder, as we've, if you hear that word vanity, what we're really talking about is like smoke or vapor, right? Like this idea that it's hard to grab onto the meaning and the significance of life. It's not saying that there is no meaning, but that it's hard to hold onto. It's hard to grasp. Um. This morning, as we talk about time uh, specifically, um, I, I think depending on your generation, your age, the, the decade of life that you're in, right, you think about time differently. Um, often, right, the younger you are, the more that you think about wasting time or that it's not a big deal to waste time. The older you are, the more that that feels like a shame, right? And, and, and we see generations that will disagree then on how they should spend time, utilize time. Because of how they perceive the amount of time that has passed in their life, um, I can remember as a kid, as a teenager, even a young adult, I'm um, hearing older folks say, "You know, come, come quickly, Lord Jesus," and knowing I, I was supposed to agree with that, but I didn't, right? Because I'm like, I, I want my turn to do the thing, like I want to live life, um, and wondering why would why why would someone say that so quickly, so easily. And the older I get, the more I realize it's because they're seeing a lot of life, right? They're, They're seeing brokenness and need and pain and hurt, and they know that Jesus is the restorer of all things, that he sets things right, and that we have hope in that. And so we live in this tension of wanting to experience this life that God has created for us, and also knowing that this life is broken and has been affected, and that he's the one that's going to fix it, right? And so Ecclesiastes tries to kind of meld these two thoughts and ideas together. Um, when we, I was, how old was I, 22 when we moved to Yemen? Um, and I remember I was two days in, two days in to Yemen. Like I can tell you where I was standing. I'm in this foreign place, not speaking the language, about to start language school, in an apartment overlooking a city where in our neighborhood no American had ever lived, right? And, I'm, and, and here was my thought as I'm looking out over this city. So when this time is up in a couple of years, what am I going to do next? Like, and I remember having this, like, what am I doing? Like, I'm already, like, like this is an insane experience that we're going to have. And I'm already thinking about what's next. Like, I wasn't in the moment. I, and, I, and it was this very kind of, I feel like a spirit-led moment for me where it was like, hey, slow down and, and don't just run ahead in life or you're going to get to the end of it and have forgotten to, like, live it. And so right, like that we we live with this weird sense of time and we're trying to wring all that we can out of life. And so Ecclesiastes three is gonna lean into that with us this morning. It's probably the most familiar passage in Ecclesiastes outside of the phrase that all is vanity. So let's pick up and we're gonna begin in verse one of chapter three. For everything there is a season. a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. We're going to stop there momentarily. What the author here of Ecclesiastes is doing is he starts this with a poem, right? That's trying to kind of summarize life. Now, as you as you listen and process that poem, as you look back through it, as you've heard it, potentially at a funeral, right, that everything in that um, you're not necessarily guaranteed you're going to experience in your life, right? Like it's not that you're going to experience every season and time that's listed, but it's more that we can recognize in this the fabric and the flow of life, right? That even if you don't particularly experience war yourself, right, that you've seen the ebb and flow of time, these are the seasons of life that people experience. There's no guarantee that you get equal parts, right, or equal amount of time in each of these. Like you don't have so much of your time is going to be in mourning, and so much is going to be in celebration, right? So much is going to be in laughter, and so much is going to be in tears. There's no time associated with this. It's more just that we understand this this flow of life that there's order to it, and yet that it's varied. Even in the the poetry. The author is teaching us, right? If, if you notice the flow, we just, we see the artistry of it because it begins with a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. It seems to kind of be starting with the positive and going to the one that would feel less positive. And then we see in verse three, we go to all of a sudden a time to kill, right? That even in, in the, the shifting of, it's not necessarily a flow of positive to negative, that he mixes and matches, that there's some haphazardness to this, which is intentional, right? To show us that that life isn't always orderly, that there is a a, a sense that we can kind of anticipate an art to life. And yet Ecclesiastes is going to say, we all know the exceptions. We've all seen them, even if you haven't experienced them, right? It's someone being sick at a, a remarkably young age right? It, it, it's these situations that just come in and break in. And so even in the, the layout of the poetry, it's reminding us that there is a haphazardness to life, that it doesn't have this flow, even though we can kind of hold on to it that way. You go to verse 7, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, right? Like the question then is, is even a time to speak or a time to be quiet? Like what, what's the better one? Right? Like there's some ambiguity to it. Like, which is the more positive? Is it when you're getting to talk or is it when you've learned to be quiet? That there's ambiguity to life. Like the Proverbs would say that you should answer a fool according to his folly. And also that because of the fool and his folly, you shouldn't. Right? Like this idea that wisdom is needed. That there are times where you should speak and address things that are going on. And there are other times where you should keep silent. That there's wisdom and some ambiguity to life that it's ordered, that it's buried, that we can see seasons coming, right? We can see them coming from, from a distance, right? And others come on us in a flash, in a moment, in an instant, right? For some, you've, you've had the opportunity to, to mourn the loss of someone over a long period due to sickness. And then others, you've lost someone in a moment, in an instant, and it was tragic. Right, and there's a difference in how we 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 respond to those things, how we grieve those things, how we process them. Right, some can say, right, I, I know old age is coming for me, and, and the infirmity that might come with that. And then others have an accident at a young age, and it brings about some of the effects of old age decades earlier than they would have ever anticipated or expected. Even. Even for some of us, we would walk through life going, hey, there will be a day where infirmity or sickness or death will be a part of my, my, the normal rhythms of my life. But right now, I'm young and I'm strong and I'm healthy and I'm the master of my domain, right? Like, and, and, and those things will come for me later. I don't have to deal with them now. I remember um, feeling like that. I still sometimes struggle not to feel that way. And yet, uh, 12 years ago, Carmen was pregnant with Carson and I, I remember having dinner. I actually made a joke uh, about not wanting to be visited if I was in the hospital. I don't know why I said it that night at, at dinner, but I, I remember very clearly making it. And then laying in bed that night, like waking up like with like a cold sweat in the worst pain I'd ever felt in my life. And i like, going, what, <laughs> what is going on? And like I roll out of bed and I can't move. And I finally wake Carmen up. She takes me to the hospital, which i then been spent 10 days in the hospital and had gangrene around my gallbladder and had to have two different surgeries. And it, I was 27 years old, right? And no warning. It was just in a moment. I had not had any sickness. It was just in a moment. All of a sudden, there's pain and surgery and discomfort. And, and I went from thinking, hey, that, that, those are the type of things that will happen when I'm older. They can happen at any moment. Right? Like there's just some exception to this. And so sometimes you see the season coming, sometimes you don't. You'll notice as you kind of get the, the, the feel of the poem, how relational it is. Right? When we think about a time to be born, like you're thinking of people who have been born into your family. Right? Like this one, right? It's showing me a sponsor truck. When you think about death, right? You think about it's not it's not just death as a concept. It's faces, memories, names. It's 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 pain, right? When you think about, um, you know, a time to weep, a time to laugh. Those are not just like vague emotions and thoughts. They are surrounded by memories and situations and experiences. And so these are all relational. And then in certain moments, we can feel both the time to weep. And the time to laugh in the same moment. This is one of those weeks. Right, as you celebrate the holidays, there will be moments where you are joyful. And there can be moments where you are grieved. Grieved over someone who's not present. And you it will feel convoluted and broken and messed up and you're not sure how to navigate it. Right? Like you're you're wondering how can both of these things be true that I can be excited and joyful in this moment. And devastated in this moment, that both of those things can happen. It may be that this Christmas you are hoping for the healing of a relationship that is still estranged, right? You were hoping that COVID would be something in the past entirely, right? You are you are hoping for certain people to be here who won't be here. There's unmet expectation, right? That all of these things can be going on, and you can still be excited and joyful. What, what is going on in this poem is it's forcing us to understand that there is a, a kind of a flow of life that is happening to us that we are not enacting upon it, it is enacting upon us. That we are the ones kind of being moved along by creation and by time. That we're not always going to be the healthy one, the strong one, the laughing one. That all of these seasons are going to play a role in our life. And so the poem is just trying to kind of get you to have this overview, this overarching thought. And then we pick up in verse 9. What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity into a man's heart, yet so that he cannot find what God has done from beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his spoil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before Him. That which is, already has been. That which is to be, already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous, and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see what that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast. For all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Again, just this dark tone to Ecclesiastes. He he lays out this poem that is beautiful that can be read at a funeral whether you believe in God or not, right? It's just kind of this, this natural world, and then he responds with, what do we gain? Right, like just this, this rhetorical question that's expecting a negative response. And I think it's important for us to remember in chapter 3, and, and and throughout most of Ecclesiastes, we have a couple of perspectives happening. That the author here is taking the the role of an observer of the natural world and so he's going to say some things here that are, are not necessarily true, right? It's going to be what I have perceived and what I have observed. And without God, it's as true as we can understand. And with God, we have further understanding, right? And so there's kind of some competing thought and perspective as to what is going on here. Because we have to compare verse 9, what gain has the worker from his toil, with verse 11, he, meaning God, has made everything beautiful in its time. And He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Here's what's happening, church. Ecclesiastes is teaching us this. Like if you were going to summarize Ecclesiastes as this, is that either nothing matters, nothing matters, and all of it is vanity, all of it is smoke, and all of it is vapor. Right, And you can eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you're going to die. Either that is true or everything matters. Everything matters because God has ordered and set and given us a purpose and a plan and a finish line. Right? So, he, so what is really going on here is it's, it's a comparison and a contrast between these two ideas of does nothing matter? Because that's what it feels like and looks like often. Or does everything matter? And the answer is actually going to vary based on where you are with Christ. It either nothing matters or everything matters. Listen to the one who is observing the world apart from God. Right? We see these people. We have been this, these people. We might continue to occasionally be this guy. Right? And it makes us cynical and make you kind of Eeyore-ish. Um right you can be depressed right it, it, there's a reason why folks who would would have this kind of natural observation scientific view of the world only right with no faith intertwined would look and say hey you're a fool right like you're going to do all these things you're going to die and you're going to be dust right like, you you can understand why this perception would be out there and so we see him cry out in this in verse 9 what is, what's the gain? Verse 10, I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man. He just wants them to be busy. Verse 16, Moreover, I saw that under the sun, in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. He's, he's crying out, saying, even when we're supposed to have the right and the just, there's wickedness there. We can't trust anything. Nothing is being done according to the way that it should be. In the place of justice, wickedness. In the place of righteousness, wickedness. He's crying out, saying that nothing is as it should be. Then in verse 19, 22. He bemoans. He says, listen, what happens to us and animals, it's the same. We die. And we don't even know what happens after that. And we assume that we go up and they go down, but we don't know because we can't see it. We can't know. Maybe it's all vanity. And, we have, and we're, just, we're no better than the animal. Right? You, you hear him, th- just despair and depression. And for some of you, you're going, I remember that season of my life where I was, I was asking questions like this. I was saying things like this. Some of you have these people in your family. Some of them, they're your coworkers. Right? Some of them are, are folks around you that are going, I don't understand why we would do anything of value in this life. Right? And there's just this kind of like nihilistic, Man and beast. Is there any eternity? Who knows? But, he's laying in there truths about who God is. Look at verse 11. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He's put eternity into man's heart. right? This longing that we have. There's a reason that when you go to a funeral whether it is for a believer or an unbeliever, there is the sense of brokenness that something is wrong and it shouldn't be this way. Then in the most joyful Christian of funerals, there's still a sense of this isn't right and then when there is no faith, no hope, no God in a funeral, right we felt that just the weight and the hardness and the difficulty of that, right why? Because in verse 11, God has put within us eternity, like that we have this longing. For more, we have this desire to be back in Eden, right? Where things were harmonious and we were with God. Whether we can put language to it or understanding to it or not, we long for death not to be our enemy. He says He's done this. He's put it into us. But we're not going to be able to find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So we have this longing and we have this lack. We can long for it and we will not get satisfaction. We will not get all the answers that we want. And yet he is reminding us that God has done it. He is our creator and there is purpose in it. Verse 13, he he reminds us that if you gain pleasure from eating and drinking and work, those type of things, it's a gift from God. You know folks who no matter what they eat or what they drink or what work they have, they're never satisfied, they're never happy. And others who, in the most simplest of terms, right, in the most simplest of meals, in the most simplest, the most simple work, can find absolute joy. He's saying, like, God is the giver of our pleasure and our joy and our satisfaction. It is God's gift to man, which means that we have to receive it. Verse fourteen and fifteen, we see just this mighty strength in God. I perceive that whatever God does, it endures forever. It is lasting. When he's already contrasted the fact that what we do doesn't last. It gets handed on to a fool, right? Like, and we, we mourn that. So he says we can't add to it. We can't take away from it. God's done it. Why? So that people will fear before him. This idea is that we would see him rightly. We would see that we're not him. That there's a difference in God and in humanity. And so what we cannot control, he can control. What He does, it lasts. What we do, doesn't last. He's showing us this big contrast and difference that we aren't in control. And then He lets us know that even though He has observed that people would be miserable, going, we don't even know if there's an end. right? We don't even know if there's anything afterwards. He believes that there is. Look at verse 17. So I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked for there is a time for every matter and for every work. He's saying we know that there's an end to this. That there's, there's a finish line. And there is a judgment that will occur that we will stand before God. And it's why He's telling us we have to live in light of the fact that death is coming for us and that after death, we stand before the Lord. Right? That we are, we are in judgment before Him. Which should bring potentially some fear. right? And would bring some questions. But it can also bring hope and purpose. And we're going to come back to this. Verse 11 doesn't just tell us that God is creator, it reminds us that we're not. Right? Verse 13, that He is the giver of pleasure and enjoyment, reminds us that we're the receiver of it. Verse 14, that we should fear God, reminds us that, of our perspective, that we need to rightly perceive Him, that we should be humble, and a reminder of our place in the world. In verse 19, even as he says it in the most kind of negative way possible, is a reminder that we're going to die. Right? That we're going to die. But how do we know that we are in a better position than the beast? We go to Genesis, right? That God breathed his breath into us. Right? Where he molded and shaped and made the animals, he breathed into humanity. And that we are created in the image of God, we are different than the beast. Right? Because we've been made in the image of God with a longing in our heart for eternity. To see and to know and to be with Him. So church, this morning, in this like kind of dark poetry, we're being, inv- we're being invited into a couple things. The first is this. You're being invited to embrace the season of life you are currently in. Right, The one that you're currently in. Not the one you hope you're in. Not the one you want to be in. Not the one you were once in. Embrace the season that you are currently in. Because as we walk through this poem, right, we're being reminded that the season of life you're in is not a punishment from the Lord. For some of you, you're really glad for the season you're in. For others of you, you would really like to be out of it. You are not being punished. There is a rhythm and an orderedness to life that is happening. And like a farmer who has to submit to the season, he doesn't get to just choose. I I choose the to plant today. What's well, 28 degrees, farmer? Well, I choose the plant, right? Like you're not. You, you can choose to do that. You can choose to not embrace the seasons of life, and you'll be a fool, and you'll look like a fool. We're being asked to trust and to submit, right? The farmer can only do what is being called and has been woven into nature to do in the season that we are currently in. And so you're all in a season of life and you're being asked to submit to it and to embrace it. Why? Because something beautiful is being knit out of it. Whether you can see it or not. Verse 11, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Have you ever taken the time to look back over a previous period of your life. And what was unclear then, you can now begin to see the thread that's connected all together. A relationship that seemed happenstance in the moment has now become a lifelong connection. Right? A job loss that you thought was going to devastate you has led to a different job that has fulfilled you. Right? Um, a move that you didn't anticipate. Right? Like all these things that you in the moment you're you could be knocked off course and bewildered by, and yet as you look back, you can begin to see the thread being tied together, that is being knit together. Photos often bring clarity to us in this regard, right? When you look back and you find photos that are 10, 12, 15, 20, or more years old, right, that you haven't looked at in a while, and you just begin to reminded of all the faithfulness of God and how He has brought you to the place that you're at. And then it wasn't always, right, with with laughter, sometimes it was with, with It was with weeping. But that there's a thread to it. Would you also be encouraged this morning as you're being asked to embrace the season of life that you're in is that that season's not going to last. The season that you're currently in will end. And so if your season right now is grieving, you will laugh again. You will. If your current season is as joyous and as glorious as you've ever imagined one could be, Grief is coming. Right? Like the season you're in, and I know it sounds morbid and it sounds difficult, but it will end. For those of you who have young kids and you remember a season where you could be spontaneous and do whatever you wanted, right? spontaneity can come back again. Right? Quiet homes can have noise again. Noisy homes can have quiet again. Um, a couple of years ago, we were out to eat at Verona's on a, for Valentine's. It was not a romantic date, right? It was, there were five of us at the table. Um, and, you know, two of them are pretty little. And so it was just chaos, right? And we're, Carmen's kind of looking at me like, why did we choose to do this? Like, this does not feel very valentines And, and yet it, there was also a joy in it. And there was a, a couple sitting at the table next to us. And she just leaned over and goes, enjoy this moment, right? Like, I, she goes, I would like to be back in your moment. And and it's this reminder that if we're not careful, just like in Yemen, where I'm thinking about two years ahead of time, instead of being in the season I was in, that we can spend our entire life wishing to be in a different season. Rather than embracing the fact that we don't get to pick our seasons to begin with. We enjoy it for what it is, even when it's painful, and we trust that God is building something beautiful out of it, even if it's a season we desperately want to be over. Then there is purpose, that God is faithful and we can trust Him even if we can't see what He's doing yet. So we're being asked and being invited to embrace it. Why? Like, why, why would we say that? Church, because God is with us. Like, we celebrate this season because God entered into the fray of this world. Right? He didn't just say on high, hey, one day you're going to get to the finish line and it's all going to be okay. He was born into a family right he suffered pain mocking and humiliation and death he was betrayed he had tears over the loss of a friend he worked as a carpenter like like the son of god left heaven to toil right like if you want to call something vanity that's vanity right like that he could just speak and it's there and yet he works as a carpenter. right? Like he, he is bringing purpose and meaning to everything that He does. Like this morning, you can embrace the season you're in because you're not in it alone. God, Emmanuel, God with us is with you. He understands. And church, the second part of this is that then we are called to image Him by entering into other people's seasons as well. And we have to be re- really careful that we don't, can't make this a verb, you can't Chick fil A a season of life for somebody. Because some seasons of life are really, really hard. And if it's always, well, I'm great and glorious and it's a blessing with a smile on my face, it's my pleasure to serve you, right? That's not real life. And people who are in the world right now who are cynics and depressed and who are hurting, who are going through real things, real war, real turmoil, real weeping, real mourning, real destruction, don't need lib answers. They need a manual. God with them, who entered into the fray and took pain and suffering and betrayal and hurt and death to restore us to the Father. And His image bears of Him we can begin to enter into the fray, sit in people's pain, and weep with them, and not hurry them up, not tap on our watch, and not be glib, to grieve, to hurt, to understand. Right? That's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1 that, that we comfort people with the comfort that we've received when we needed comfort and grace. Right? That some of what the beauty that He's doing in your life is that you're going to be able to minister to someone because you survived the season you're in. And He's going to knit something beautiful together in your life and in their life because you trusted that God was faithful in the midst of it. It means that life has worth, dignity, and that we don't live with blinders on. Church, if you're in a great season right now, enjoy it. Wring all the good out of it. And don't apologize for it. But let's not put blinders on and believe that everyone should be as joyful and as joyous when there are difficult seasons happening to. We have to be able to see and recognize both of them. So we are able to embrace the season we're in because God is with us, and then we're able to do it because He is God, because He's a judge. Right? If we look again... and he says, moreover, I saw under the sun that it, that in the place of justice there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. But I said in verse 17 in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. The church this season ends too. The brokenness that you are experiencing as as, as a people under heaven will end. And every wrong will be righted. And every injustice will be Paid for. Right? Every intent of our heart will be known. There will be a day where all things will be clear. And the things that are being hidden and pretended and covered up personally, nationally, internationally, historically will be revealed. And God will be a matter of justice. Fair, complete. All will be seen, all will be known. And so what will happen is that it will be revealed and the things that were lacking will be burned up. And the things that were God honoring will be rewarded. And it will all be seen and known. This present evil age will end and all tears will be wiped away from all eyes. And death will be no more and sickness will be no be no more and mourning will there will be seasons that will never come again. Revelation 21 tells. And so We can now stagger through life believing there is no hope and no meaning. Or we can walk through life knowing that there is deep meaning and purpose because there's a finish line. And that finish line is you, you, not someone else, you standing before God. And Him looking at you and your thoughts and your life and your intentions and your actions and your lack of action and where you were just and where you were not just and where you were kind, and where you were not kind. And in that, right this morning, that can bring panic and fear to us, and it's why we need Jesus. Because Jesus has come and lived the life we were meant to live. Has completely obeyed, fulfilled the law. Has met us in our brokenness, and has restored us to the Father. Has paid for our sin Right? It's not that our sin doesn't get paid for, that, that as a Christian, there's no justice. Right, There is. Jesus died for it. And so we will either stand before God someday, covered in the blood of Christ, having our sins paid for, and being right with the Father restored. And you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant as a mother, as a father, as a husband, as a wife, as an employee, as a follower of Jesus. Right, Like in all the different arenas of your life, well done, good and faithful servant. You imaged me. And Jesus has paid for your sin and restored you to the right relationship as the son or daughter of the king. Or you will stand before God apart from Jesus and justice will be poured out upon you. And you will be separated from Him for all time. Right? And so it means that life is not meaningless. It has purpose. It has weight. It has significance. And we have gospel hope. And, and we can recognize that folks around us without gospel hope will see the vanity of life. So church, this morning, you're, in, you're invited to embrace the fact that you're not in control. That you don't have all the knowledge that you're going to want in this lifetime that you will not have understanding of all the ways that God is knitting things together on this side of heaven. And so we can either rage and war against that, and that we see a lot of that in the Psalms, or we can begin to embrace it, that we are not God, but that He is trustworthy, faithful, and dependable. And just as we would ask our children to trust us and not always give them all the explanations, that God is asking us to trust Him with a childlike faith. That He is good. He is gracious. That He is faithful. That He is kind. He is merciful. That He is a promise keeper. That He will do what He has said He will do. And that Jesus is sufficient to rescue. That He's enough. That He's sufficient. This is the, the invitation to Ecclesiastes, as we will continue to wrestle, and we're gonna, we'll, we'll move into darkness and turmoil more, and we'll move into the light of Jesus, right? And there's just this kind of song and dance, and this ebb and flow of Ecclesiastes, and the reason for it is because it looks like life. Is there are moments where our hearts soar for Jesus, and there are moments where our hearts aren't sure that we really believe, and yet He is faithful. He is sufficient and the season that you're in doesn't get the final say, he does. Pray. Father, thank you that that you don't ask us to whitewash the world. God, that you don't ask us um, to pretend like difficult things aren't present or that there aren't real questions or real struggles. God, we, we confess we desperately need You. Father, if life is going to have any significance, any weight, any purpose, any meaning, it is going to be through the lens of the gospel and the hope and the good news that we have in Jesus. So Father, this morning we pray for those who are in heart-wrenching seasons of life right now. Father, would they feel loved, seen, and known, and heard, and not rushed. God, would we be willing to get into the, the grime of life with people? Father, for those who are having joyous seasons, would they not apologize for them? God, would we not see bad seasons as punishment and good seasons as reward, but we would simply see that there is a variant of life and that in all of it we're not alone in you. God sink these truths deep in us. Lift our chins to see you. God, would we image you well? In Jesus name.